1: What do you think, huh? Looks like the headquarters of America. Folks, I am so grateful to be an American, proud to be an American. Glad I was born here, raised here, and that I got to serve this country. You know, a lot of folks uh, don't realize we lose lives, obviously, in, in wartime in the military, but also in peacetime operations. It's a very frequent occurrence. And on Memorial Day, I think of my three friends who lost their life in peacetime in service to their country. Dale Mulkey, a Harrier pilot, Glenn Blaisdell, an F-18 pilot, and Steve Freeman, an F-18 pilot and A-4 pilot, three fantastic individuals who I never would have met had I not joined the military. So people say thank you for your service, I say thank you, thank you, America. Um, It's a tremendous experience. I urge you to consider it. If you're of military age, don't let anyone talk you into it, but it's something worthy of consideration. There's a new book out that I think we should all read. Who among us does enough reading? It's called Walk in My Combat Boots, and it's by James Patterson and Matt Eversman. First about the book, it's a collection of true stories from America's war heroes about their experiences, and it's compiled through interviews with James Patterson and decorated war hero Matt Eversman. A bit on them both. James Patterson, of course, is the worldwide one of the most successful authors ever. He has sold more than 300 million books. That's uh, pretty (laughs) extraordinary. Um, James Patterson, household name famous. Uh, We also have with us Matt Eversman, the co-author. Now, on October, in October of 1993, Matt was placed in charge of a group of Army Rangers to lead a daytime raid against an eager enemy militia in Mogadishu, Somalia. Those events were captured in the film Black Hawk Down. Josh Hartnett played Matt Eversman. Gentlemen, welcome to you both. Congratulations on the new book, Walking My Combat Boots. Uh, you're thank chuckling. You, uh, you. I guess, you are, you are you done hearing about the Black Hawk Down movie? Because it is one of my favorites.
0: Well, you know, Greg, thank you. Uh, It's a great movie. It's just it's a little surreal. And even after all this time, um, you know, Josh Hartnett and I are are not usually going to get confused for one another. I will just leave it at that. Okay,
1: fair enough. Great movie. Wild experiences. Um, So, look, you know, we're all about support the troops, support the troops. But you know what, James, I think you've done a real service here because not too many people, know really what the troops go through outside of movies. And as a book, I think- And
2: you know that, and Matt knows that. And that's what we're trying to correct in this book. Our mission, Matt and I, when we started this thing, and I think we succeeded, is if you served, if you were in the military, you will read this book and go, Sergeant Eversman and Patterson got it right. If you're like half the country and you don't have a clue what the military is all about, You will read this and go, I had no idea. I didn't understand what it means to serve, and I had no idea what it means to put my life on the line for somebody else. And the next time you say to somebody, thank you for your service, you'll
1: know what you're thanking them for. Fabulous. Sounds like a service in and of itself. How many folks did you interview? Uh, I'll give that one to you, Matt. Yeah, I
0: think we were we were well over 100. I mean, we we had quite a few uh, that we did right over the phone. And then there were a follow on group of people that we did uh, through the email. But, uh, you know, yeah. Greg, each and every one of those stories was absolutely fantastic to hear. I mean, I learned so much from these young men and women. I, I, I'm humbled to have spent time with them.
1: James, um, you know, let's face it, it's. Uh, <laughs> A lot of bad things happen in the military, too. Uh, you know, people get yeah. court-martialed. Uh, people break the rules. Uh, you know, there's the friendly fire. Are these just stories of, uh, you know, all shucks, heroism, uh, you know, feel good? No. And that's great. No. Is, it, is it the good, the bad, and the ugly? Uh,
2: I, I think it is. I mean, I, I wouldn't say the ugly, but uh, it's definitely the good and the bad, and it's, and it's true. And, you know, the one thing about, you know, like, <laughs> I think most of us would just like to get the facts and and then let and then let us figure it out. So what we do here is there are forty five stories. As Matt has said, every one of these stories could be a book in itself. There, I cut them down into five, six, seven pages, so it reads like a, you know, like like a novel. Um, um, but but it, it will. I guarantee anybody watching this thing, it will blow your mind. It has blown everybody's mind who's 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 read it. And this goes from you know Adam McRaven, who we were with last night. Uh, McChrystal, General McChrystal, Pete, uh, General Dawkins. I mean, it blows
1: their minds. The generals, but you also talked to the yeah. privates at this one, right, Matt?
0: We we did, and, and a little by design, Greg. To you know, to keep it real, we don't need ethereal strategic grand strategy. We want to hear what it was like to drive a, a, a Hemet up Route Irish in in Iraq, or to be in Jalalabad, and we got that. You know, we got. Very raw, unvarnished, straight up the gut, no chaser. Stories from from soldiers and sailors and airmen and marines on the ground, and these are young men and women. You know, you work with them your entire career as well, and uh, it's just a, a treat to hear and, it. And, and Greg, know, as you from know, that level.
2: a lot of these people won't tell these stories. My father came back from World War II; he would never talk about it. I don't know what your dad was like, but I mean, in general, people they won't tell these stories. They told them to Matt because they trusted him, and he knew the right questions and the right follow-ups. And then, and then I turned him into these very tight uh, six, seven-pagers. And uh, it's, I don't know, as I said,
1: it's, it'll, it'll blow your mind. I look forward to it. Uh, you're right. My dad actually was kind of reluctant, but, you know, you could pull it out of him. It wasn't something they'd mm-hmm. go around volunteering. But they would, you know what, forgive me, but you know what civilians often ask? Uh, they go right to the heart of the matter sometimes. Uh, James, this, did you kill anybody? Yeah. Did you kill yeah. anybody? That's what they often yeah, want to no. know. And I'm curious. Yeah, we uh, talked about that. You yeah. talk about that, right? It's, uh, it's an interesting, sad, and I don't know, it's, it's, but it's, it's when real.
2: I do, when I do a, a, a fiction book, I will put it at the top of chapters, be there. And, and that's the same thing with this thing. You will feel what it is like to get shot at for the first time. Wow. And, and Matt is obviously going through that. You will feel what it's like to shoot at somebody for the first
1: time. And those are awful things better to be the shooter than to be shot at. Uh, but they're, they're both not good. <laughs> uh, but I'm sure your you writing is so right, amazing. Matt. Your, your writing is so amazing. Uh, James, I know you can really take people there. Great stuff. Uh, Matt, serious question. Have you been back to, uh, Mogadishu since the events of 1993 or two? Thank,
0: thankfully, no, uh, October, 1993, but thankfully no. And, uh, I got to be completely candid. I I will call myself fortunate if I never make it back there um, ever. Although I did get to uh, Afghanistan in 2018. That was 10 years after I retired, which uh, was a story of itself. But now I I, I think my Mogadishu days are are done and in the past. And I'm I'm just thankful to be home from that.
1: Well, so are we. Um, Thank you for your service. I know sometimes it sounds trite, uh, but uh, sincerely, And, James, thank you for partnering up with that hero. Let's take a look at this book one more time, Walk in My Combat Boots, available right now wherever books are sold. You can get it on your Kindle. You can get it in uh, hard copy, bookstores, Amazons. Thank you very much. Hey, James Patterson, real quick, I know you uh, studied Jeffrey Epstein. Uh, You live not too far from him there in Palm Beach. My question to you, did Jeffrey Epstein kill himself?
2: I, I didn't think so at first, uh, and then—I'm uh, sorry, I did think so. But after—at this point, I, I question it. I question whether he did. Initially, I, I thought he did, and, and the, more I, the more I heard about it,
1: the more I heard from the doctors, I, I there's doubt in my mind about it. Uh, James did an amazing book about uh, uh, Jeffrey Epstein and his— uh You know, crazy, the craziness he was engaged in called Filthy Rich. It's available still wherever books are sold. The Billionaire Sex Scandal. Uh, James Patterson, thank you very much to be continued. And Matt Eversman, thank you, sir. Thank you. Thank you for your service as well. All right. My pleasure. Thanks, guys. Uh, We will be right back. Have you checked out the Newsmax Daily Podcast with me, Rob Carson? You get daily news,
0: insightful commentary, and, believe it or not, comedy. Check it out wherever you listen to your favorite podcast or
1: at NewsmaxTV.com slash podcast. Senator Marco Rubio joins us. Republican of Florida, newly endorsed relatively by President Trump for reelection. Senator Rubio, welcome to Newsmax, I believe, for the very first time. Great to see you, sir.
3: Well, thanks for having me on. I I think I've been in interviews before, like in the hallways, but I'm not sure I've been on a show yet. So thanks for having me.
1: Yeah, no, this is a prime time. So thank you, Senator. Hey, um, very enthusiastic uh, endorsement from President Trump. Uh, It looks like you guys worked really well together. Are you surprised by that at all? I mean, let's face it, it was pretty competitive back in 1516, but uh, you really forged a pretty nice relationship here.
3: Yeah, look, I mean, 2016, I ran for president. It's a comp- competitive environment. But since the moment I ended, ended that race and during throughout the Trump presidency were very productive years for me, we worked very well together with the Trump White House and with the president. he outlined a lot of the things that we worked on. You're talking about Latin America, you're talking about China, you're talking about PPP. Uh, one of the first bills the president signed that he talked about often was the veterans, uh, the VA reform bill that we passed that, that he signed into law. So we did a lot of positive things together, a very productive time and a very good working relationship and continue. Plus, and this is something people don't pick up on, this is an extra special endorsement because he's now a resident and a voter in Florida. So I don't just need an endorsement. I need his vote and the vote of all his family who are also moving to Florida.
1: Okay, excellent, excellent. Look, I know this issue is very important to you, and a lot of folks are not aware of it. Uh, The burn pits that are used by the military overseas, and we have some video of these things uh, in places like Iraq and Afghanistan, the military gets rid of their waste by burning it. Uh, I don't think they meant any harm, but potentially a lot of harm was done. You've heard from people. John Stewart is actually active in this. Veterans, members of the active duty who say that they have been sickened have very serious diseases, including cancer, as a result of this. But uh, what's the status? Because I believe it has not been scientifically proven at this point. So what can be done?
3: Well, there's a couple of points. Number one is, if you think about these people, we send them overseas, put them in danger, and they're in these areas where the way they got rid of garbage and so forth is they burned it, and they burned it using jet fuel. Then you have a lot of these young veterans returning home and have these very rare cancers that develop among a significant number of them, and their families are wiped out by it. And so, frankly, it's impossible. To be frank, it's impossible to be able to prove a direct linkage between those burn pits and that cancer but by the time you prove it, if you could, it's probably too late. These folks have gone bankrupt. Many have passed away and their families are left destitute. So here's the way I view it. There has to, and this is what the bill says. The bill says there's a presumption that if you served overseas in uniform near one of these burn pits for a substantial period of time and you develop one of these rare cancers that you don't typically see in the population, there is a presumption that it was caused by that. And the way I view it is twofold. Number one is we put people in harm's way. We have an obligation to take care of them. Number two is... At worst, the worst thing that could happen here is that we actually provide health care for people who served our country in uniform overseas in a danger zone. This is not for people that served anywhere. It's for people that served in these very dangerous zones. So I don't know how at the end of the day providing health care for veterans that have come back after serving our country could possibly be a bad outcome.
1: Uh, hey, you've got my support. Uh, it sounds terrific. And those burn pits uh, were pretty big. Uh, Senator, um, I know you're, you have a passion for foreign affairs you heard the plan. Joe Biden wants troops out of Afghanistan. I think the deadline now is September 11th of this year. How do you feel about that? How are you right now on Afghanistan? Well, look,
3: yeah, I mean, the Trump administration had, had reached this agreement to withdraw by May 1st. So that their decision was whether to continue with that or not. Uh, but once that decision was made and inherited by the new administration, now the question is: number one, how do we do it in a way that is safe for our men and women that are still stationed there? And second, what we really need to keep an eye on at this point is, OK, we're not going to be in Afghanistan. There's a high likelihood, and I hope I'm wrong about this, but there's a very high likelihood that the Taliban retakes that country almost entirely or partially. And once they do, that al-Qaeda is going to return and establish a safe haven there. And we know what happened the last time they had a safe haven in Afghanistan. So if we're not going to be there on the ground with troops, and that's now coming to an end, we need to have a plan for how we're going to sustain pressure on al-Qaeda so they can't you know, reform, come back together. And then all of a sudden, three or four years from now, we're facing new threats here in the homeland and in other parts of the world. So that really needs to be our focus now. The decision to leave was made under the Trump administration. Now we just have to make sure that we do what we can so al-Qaeda can't reconstitute and come after us like they did and uh, on September 11th of 2001.
1: Right. And of course, the Biden administration, though, because it was a Trump plan, they had to modify it uh, put the Biden stamp on it, I guess. Uh, so, Senator, um, could you run for president in uh, 2024 if President Trump is a candidate? I know this is a hypothetical, and, uh, but could you run against President Trump? Uh, he just endorsed you. He's, you know, they say he's the head of the party, essentially, de facto. What's your, what would you say to that?
3: Yeah, I think my view on that is that uh, President Trump is the most popular, most influential Republican in America. I think he'd still be that in 22 and in 24. And uh, he decides to run for president and for the nomination, he's going to be the party's nominee, and that's the way I would view it. Um, it, it you know, Again, he hasn't made that decision. It's still a long way off down the road. But I, if Donald Trump decides to, to run for president in, in 2024 again, he's going to be the Republican nominee. And I think almost everyone that I've talked to would agree with that.
1: So, uh, folks, you can follow Marco Rubio, Senator Rubio, at Marco Rubio. Twitter can be a pretty noxious place and uh, all kinds of partisan combat going on. But I noticed, Senator, you put a Bible verse on every day. And I can tell you, you never know who you're going to touch with those messages in the middle of uh, the Twitter chaos. So uh, thank you for that. And I recommend everybody follow you.
3: Thank you. I appreciate that. It uh, It's right out of the Catholic Daily Mass for the most part. So um, I don't pick them most of the time. Uh, someone else has done that through the liturgy. but. That's how I start my day, and I like to share it with people. Some people get offended by it. You know, They don't have to follow me. They don't have to read it.
1: Yeah, it's amazing. You put out a a message of peace, and uh, what some people uh, take that to mean. It's pretty wild, but uh, I know Uh there's tremendous value, the ultimate value in it. Senator Rubio, continued success, and come back soon, please.
3: Thank you very much. God bless. Thank you. All the best. Take care.
1: Folks, this is, of course, Ashley Babbitt. If you've been watching this show, you know we've been talking a lot about her. She's the woman who was shot and killed even though she was unarmed on Capitol Hill on January 6th. Did you know that she was a veteran of the United States Air Force and deployed to Iraq and Afghanistan? She was 35 years old and left behind uh, her husband. Aaron Babbitt, who joins us right now. Aaron, uh, thank you very much for joining us. We are so sorry for your loss. How are you, sir? And welcome to Newsmax. Thank you for
4: having me, Greg.
1: So, Mr. Babbitt, Aaron, um, one thing that has kind of flummoxed me and confused me since the very beginning, how little attention has been given to your late wife. We know. We all saw it. She was unarmed when she was shot and killed by a Capitol Hill police officer. And for the life of me, I don't understand why more people are not concerned about this, not talking about it. What are your thoughts, please?
4: Um, for all intents and purposes, I guess it's just not um, sexy enough to fit the narrative um, that's going on right now. Um, They're just lambasting her um, on social media and mainstream news. Um, You know, the term insurrectionist keeps getting thrown around, rioter. um, To me, she was just a uh, blue-collar American veteran that wanted her voice to be heard, and nobody was listening.
1: You were not uh, on Capitol Hill yourself. You were not in Washington that day. Uh, She was. I want to show this video of an officer who seemed to be waving people into the Capitol. And we've seen footage like this. Uh, This is not the only example, but security was so lax. And at this point, some official person in uniform seems to be encouraging people to make their way into the Capitol. At another point... I see people walking directly by Capitol Hill police officers. So, if you could speak to that a bit, you have heard again the term insurrectionist and rioters. There are plenty of people who walked in because they were allowed to.
4: Yeah, and um, you know, if you listen to, if you watch any of the videos, you know, my wife posted. They're all over the place at this point. Um, she specifically says she just finished watching the president speak. Um, it's my understanding that the majority of any violence that happened at the Capitol happened prior to the President um, being done speaking, um, and then I've also seen a video um, can't find it anywhere now, but' it's, uh, it's an overhead of inside the Capitol, and you can see my wife calmly walking through the red velvet ropes, taking a video, you know just walking very calmly with everybody else. I mean. She wasn't violent. She wasn't there to hurt anybody.
1: Now I know this is tough, but we do have a a screenshot of the officer holding the gun that he, uh, the moment he fired the weapon at Ashley. And I know it's tough, but this is the moment when it happened. Now she was, it looked like, trying to crawl through or or jump through a window uh, that was on a door. I mean, she was trying to get to the other area, which apparently was restricted, correct? That's
4: yes. I mean, that's apparently that's where that is. I'm not familiar with the capital layout. I'm not I've never been inside that building in my life. Um, but I've seen the pictures that you've seen. Um, nothing. Nothing she did that day warranted to be, you know, one shot, one kill, just executed.
1: Agreed, sir. I mean, again, she is unarmed and she's jumping through a window restricted with her hands,
4: on the, their hands on, the, on the door.
1: And we always hear, show me your hands, show me your hands. Her hands are visible. So I don't see any justification at all. Uh, I know they're not criminally charging this officer uh, whose name we don't know for sure. Officially, do you happen to know the officer's name?
4: No, there's been no official um, word from anybody in a position of authority or capacity that has come out and said this gentleman's name. So
1: at this point, you are suing the, and and there's been some conflicting reports here. So you are suing the Capitol Hill police officer in question or the Capitol Hill police department for uh, roughly $12 million.
4: No, i see. I don't, I'm not hurting of that. So I I think some of this is just hearsay. Um, Yes, there obviously there is going to be some type of civil um, action coming, but I've heard of no dollar amount, and it's not been filed as of yet.
1: Has anyone explained to you what happened? Um, you certainly are entitled to an explanation. Um, has anyone reached out from the Capitol Police or uh, any, any no. government? No.
4: The only, the only um, officers, he's a detective, that I, I heard from was actually Metro PD. Um, nobody from the Capitol Police Department. Uh, One congressman called me that night on the 6th, and it was Congressman Issa. And uh, he was actually confused as to why he was calling me, because I don't live in his district. Um, And I figured out later it's because my business is in his district. But uh, I never heard from the congressman that, you know, I live in his district.
1: So, again, when we, um, I do want to ask you again about the the moment there, uh, this officer opens fire, she's unarmed, and then the next morning, I was, this is what really grabbed me, I was watching live television, and the Today Show and all the morning shows were there, and they weren't talking about that a woman was killed. A Trump supporter, perhaps that's why they found this not interesting or not worthy of reporting, but they were ignoring it, and everybody knew it, and I couldn't believe it. I saw Savannah Guthrie in front of Capitol Hill, for an hour, and she didn't mention anything about what we all knew, that a person was shot and killed unarmed in that building right behind her. You say it doesn't fit the narrative, but still, I just don't see how anyone denies reality.
4: And you see how fast they cleaned up that scene. I mean, they had my my wife's blood off that ground as quick as they could. They pulled her body from that floor as quick as they could. They carried her upside down like they were draining out of deer. You know, anybody with basic medical experience can tell you, elevate that wound. And they they carried her upside down. And they really wanted to get her out of there as fast as they could. And that's not to save her life. They just wanted to erase that from that moment of time.
1: Sir, we want to highlight that there is a GoFundMe page. We all know that with the death, there are all kinds of unexpected expenses and all kinds of things pop up. Ashley Babbitt official memorial. Um, anyone can can donate. And also, if folks want an update on on this, there is a Twitter account, Justice for Ashley. Let's go ahead and put that up on the Well, It's right there, at for Ashley. You can follow the developments. And in our remaining time, sir, if you could just tell me um, – all I know about your wife is the, she was a veteran, and, uh, and what happened on that day. Anything you'd like to share about Ashley, please.
4: She was a beach girl. We'd spend all, we lived at the beach. We'd spend every day down at the beach that we could. Sunsets, go to breweries, you know, we just definitely embedded ourselves in our neighborhood and everybody loved her. Um, There's nothing really more that she loved more. You're showing a picture of her dog. Uh, Her dog died of a broken heart in February because she didn't come home. Um, She loved talking to people with uh, opposing views. And, you know, that was her favorite thing to do. And after that, it was, let's go drink a beer together, friend, you know. And my wife was a very magnanimous, large ball of energy in a very small package. Um, And a lot of people are reeling from the loss of her that the, the void is insurmountable, unexplainable um but we wake up every day missing her
1: well it's amazing sir to me first of all I, i'm i'm terribly sorry for your loss but it's amazing that this is not an issue that people aren't discussing certainly in the media we also what happened she was uh, possibly where she shouldn't have been, but she uh, was unarmed and uh, did not pose an immediate threat to anybody, and no one's talking about it, and it's very, very troubling to me. That's very strange. Let's keep in touch. Uh, let's keep in touch, if you uh, wouldn't mind. Mr. Babbitt, Please. Um, I would love to. I'd love to have you back, and we, uh, we will cover whatever development happens, okay? Excellent. Thank you, Greg. You bet. Thank you, Mr. Babbitt, Aaron Babbitt husband of the late Ashley Babbitt, and we'll be right back.
4: Newsmax honors those that served our nation and made the ultimate sacrifice.
1: June, David Dorn, 77 years old, a retired police captain, was killed by looters during a George Floyd riot, uh, again, in St. Louis. But he has not been forgotten. In fact, the president of the United States spoke directly to his widow and to Brian Powell, son of Captain Dorn, at the Republican National Convention held at the White House later that summer.
0: Here tonight is the grieving family of retired police captain David Dorn, a 38-year veteran of the St. Louis Police Department, a great man and a highly respected man by all. In June, Captain Dorn was shot and killed as he tried to protect a store from rioters and looters, or as the Democrats would call them, peaceful protesters. They call them peaceful protesters. We're honored to be joined tonight by his wonderful wife, Anne, and beloved family members, Brian and Kaylin. To each of you, we will never forget the heroic legacy of Captain David Dorn. Thank you very much for being here. Thank you.
1: And we are joined right now by Anne Dorn and Brian Powell. Welcome to you both. I'm glad to see you. I thought that was one of the most powerful things that could ever be uh, done for a fallen hero. Um... And I so appreciate seeing you now. Um, Mrs. Dorn, how are you?
5: I'm hanging in there, thank you very much.
1: You bet. Brian? Yeah, I'm hanging in there too, just uh, taking it day by day. So in a weird way, this is kind of coming full circle. Your your father, your husband died in the aftermath of uh, George Floyd's death, the riots that happened, and now we'll have a verdict possibly this week And it's widely expected, anticipated, some are hoping for it, that we'll have widespread riots all over again. And it seems to me, Mrs. Dorn, that very little is being done to stop it.
5: Exactly. Um, It's being encouraged by some politicians, which is just beyond me, that they would encourage people to protest and act out violently. There is no recourse for violence um you know you you can't get anything accomplished with violence it just precipitates more violence you
1: know they're already talking about security uh and look we should have enhanced security but again there's no (laughs) no one's saying like maybe we shouldn't break buildings and hurt people if we don't get the verdict we want in this case i want to show you this from the news this morning
5: Tensions are high, and the Minnesota governor, Tim Walz, is calling for calm. After 45 witnesses and hours of testimony and cross-examination, Minneapolis and state leaders are bracing for unrest. National Guard troops are deployed throughout Minneapolis, working alongside state and city police officers. The governor has requested more law enforcement from neighboring states. Minneapolis public schools officials are also bracing for the verdict, switching students to remote learning later this week for their safety.
1: I guess I'm bracing for something bad happening uh, to an innocent person um, like your father, like your uh, like your husband. Um, And Brian, uh, again, the lack of proactive. uh, Let's stop this uh, kind of positioning is baffling to me.
3: Yeah, it, it is very baffling because uh there's nothing wrong with going out peaceful protesting and everything. But when it turns to looting and rioting, that's something that we can't stand for. I mean, it's it's unnecessary. And a lot of people get hurt. And that fretful morning, June second, uh my dad lost his life because of some looting and rioting instead of peaceful protests.
1: So you know, the president of the United States, President Trump, knows who you are, uh, learned of David Dorn's death, followed it very closely. You're of national importance right now, and it's not inconceivable that the Bidens might be uh, aware of you. And I'm just wondering if you would have a message for him at this moment. I said earlier in the show, I think he should be jumping up and down, telling people to, you know, not riot. And I'm not getting that message, Mrs. Dorn.
5: No, he, there should be a- a nationwide outcry for peace, for calm, you know, wait for the verdict, let the courts work this out. Um, we don't need any more lives lost. We don't need any more businesses destroyed, families torn apart. I mean, not only does our family suffer, but um, anybody who's known David, who's touched by him, who's ever worked for him, their life was torn apart. And then the young man who killed him, his family's now suffering because he's going away, you know. It just destroys too many people.
1: Stephen Cannon, 24 years old. You mentioned he was charged with first-degree murder, first-degree robbery, first-degree burglary, three counts of armed criminal action. Um, so, yes, his life is, uh, is over. And uh, quite frankly, that's appropriate. He should be punished. Um, what do you know about what happened to your husband that night? Uh, he was trying to protect a business, his employer, correct?
5: Yes, he Lee was his friend, and he was the response person for any alarms that went off in the business. And um, he, if an alarm went off, he went, but it was usually due to a storm or a motion sensor because a mouse or something set off. Um, if he'd have known the building had been breached that, that night, he would not have gone in alone. Uh, he would have waited for the police to respond Uh You know, and then to be confronted by armed protesters who are just trying. I mean, the only thing they're going to get out of that store is maybe a couple silver chains and a used TV. Everything else is locked away at night. There was nothing of true value in there. And my husband lost his life over a $20 TV.
1: Governor DeSantis is, uh, I think, just signed into law Um, something that will make rioting and damaging public property even a more serious crime than it already is. This is Governor DeSantis Mm -hmm. from earlier.
0: If you riot, if you loot, if you harm others, particularly if you harm a law enforcement officer during one of these violent assemblies, you're going to jail. Uh, We're going to hold you accountable, uh, and we're not going to end up like Portland, where this is just a daily occurrence where these people are doing this. They get arrested. They have their mugshot taken and then they get put right back on the street to do it again. So I think this bill uh, that I'll sign into law shows the state of Florida takes public safety very seriously.
1: It sounds, Brian, like a step in the right direction, doesn't it? Absolutely. That's.
3: That's one step that we're getting closer to helping come to resolve the situations and issues like this. So that is amazing. Now, if everybody else jump on board, uh, I think we'll be headed definitely down the right path.
1: You know, when you get to be the age of 77 and you're a retired cop, you don't think you're going to die in the line of duty. You know, on the job uh, as a security agent, uh, that's... Just horrific. Um, But we do have some nice pictures of of David, and I'd like to show some of them to the folks. And if you don't mind, uh, Anne, can you just tell us a little bit about what he was like? Uh, It seemed like you guys socialized quite a bit and had some adventures. Uh, Tell us about him, please. Tell us about him, please.
5: Um, Dave was just, he was a lovable guy. Um, We loved to travel. Um, He loved his children. He adored his grandchildren. Um, His smile and his laugh were infectious. Um, we, uh, you know, we've been together 30 years and, um, you know, his children became my children, Brian and and the other kids, you know, I just adore and love as my own. And, um, anybody that worked for David, you know, he, yes, David is a black man, but he was blue through and through. He was a policeman. He was a policeman's policeman. He would take care of anybody.
1: Sergeant Ann Dorn, we appreciate it. And I'm glad to talk to you. I always really wanted to, especially after that beautiful moment at the White House uh, last summer. Uh, Thank you very much. So sorry for your loss. And Brian Powell, thank you, sir, very, very much.
5: Thank you you very much.
1: All right. To be continued, we'll be right back. All I can can say is that that the the fake fake news news just doesn't get it, it, do they? They don't. They don't. Uh, Wow, this is something else. This was produced with Our Taxpayer Dollars. Believe it or not, this is a recruitment ad for the United States military, the Army.
6: It begins in California with a little girl raised by two moms. Although I had a fairly typical childhood, took ballet, played violin, I also marched for equality. I like to think I've been defending freedom from an early age.
1: Uh, I was served in the military. We don't really care where you came from. That's one of the great things about the military, you know, But just... And by the way, that's uh, quite a bold stand. It looks like Joe Biden's lawn. Remember back on Valentine's Day? Love each other. Respect everyone. Wow, that's uh, gutsy stuff. What's next?
6: When I was six years old, one of my moms had an accident that left her paralyzed. Doctors said she might never walk again. But she tapped into my family's pride to get back on her feet. Eventually, standing at the altar to marry my other mom. With such powerful role models, I finished high school at the top of my class and then attended UC Davis, where I joined a sorority full of other strong women.
1: As uh, Someone's having fun with this. Uh, it's kind of irrelevant again. Uh, oh, by the way, the two moms uh, weren't married. They got married much later. Um, whatever, right? More last
6: But as graduation approached, I began feeling like I'd been handed so much in life, a sorority girl stereotype. Sure, I'd spent my life around inspiring women, but what had I really achieved on my own? One of my sorority sisters was studying abroad in Italy. Another was climbing Mount Everest. I needed my own adventures, my own challenge. And after meeting with an army recruiter, I found it. A way to prove my inner strength and maybe shatter some stereotypes along the way. I'm U.S. Army Corporal Emma Malone-Lord, and I answered my calling.
1: Congratulations, Emma. The only one who's carrying any stereotype seems to be her, walking around with all that stuff and putting it before you. We just didn't care about that stuff in the military. We really didn't. I was there in the 90s and uh, all kinds of people were there, trust me. Uh, You want to see a real commercial that will make you possibly want to join the Marines? We
4: offer another path, where the battle to belong begins, awakened by a calling, united by purpose. finds by the cause you fight for hey, to you. You get over the no one can ever take away uh, your what it means to be among the few the proud
1: the Marines uh, huh? You want to join, don't you? That is motivational. Then again, it was done in the late stages of the Trump administration. Who knows what my Marine Corps is working on now? Fingers crossed. As some of you may know, I was privileged enough to serve in the Marine Corps as a Marine Corps pilot. It was the greatest honor of my life. I enjoyed it so much. I actually... Missed, though, the big wars. I went in just after the Gulf War, and I got out not long before 9-11. Uh, I saw combat, but as a journalist in um, Iraq. Got to fly over Iraq once, um, uh, a couple of missions, OSW, but it was pretty benign while I was in active duty. Nobody shot at me. I didn't shoot at anybody. But uh, here's what I want to emphasize to the folks, that serving in the military is dangerous even in peacetime. You train like you fight and you fight like you train. So you train pretty hard. I wanna show you three very great Americans. Uh, In black and white, that's Dale Mulkey, captain USMC. He died in 1996 in a Harrier crash. In the middle, Steve Freeman, native of Texas, he died in an A4 crash in 2006 in Alaska. And blonde, turning his head, that's Glenn Blaisdell. He died in 1995 in an F-18. All three of these individuals were good friends of mine. Uh, I'd like to tell you a little bit more about each, starting with Glenn Blaisdell, native of Indiana. Uh, Extremely funny, aggressive pilot. Um, He flew very, very well, but very curiously, he was a very conservative driver. He would drive five miles below the speed limit, uh, so he was always our designated driver. Uh, Next up is Steve Freeman. Another great American from Texas. We went on a road trip together all the way to Australia. An amazing storyteller, father of two children. And Dale Mulkey, one of the greatest pilots the Marine Corps ever produced. Uh, Mott's certified, ACTI, that's a very big deal. And he showed me how to fly a Harrier at 100 feet. I'll never forget and I'll always be grateful for their friendship and for everything I learned from them. Thank you for supporting this show. Thank you for supporting Newsmax. Uh, We need you. We need each other. All right.